Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wegovy and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Pam Schreiber. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to the Tennis Podcast. So our Wimbledon semi-final lineup is set after Wild Wednesday at SW19. Just came to me, folks. Just came to me. Works. Does it? Okay, I was open to feedback yeah, on that. I'm, so. I'm, I'm on board. Okay. We're here at Tennis Podcast Towers. Myself, Catherine Whitaker, David Law, Matt Roberts. Are we far enough into the podcast yet that I can mention that we've just been having dinner with Billie Jean King? Yeah. It not, not, have I waited long enough? Uh, I think so. Great. I managed for it not to be the first first thing that I said, and yeah. I think I did well there. Wild Wednesday came up first. Thank you very much. So. Yeah. That's why the pod is a little bit late tonight, and, folks. And that I is kind of wild understand. as well, isn't it? <laughs> yes. Yeah, it all ties into the theme. <laughs> Look kind of face. wild. <laughs> <laughs> it's truly, truly wild. We also needed time to process mm. Wild Wednesday. Yeah. And I'm I not still don't sh- think I have. I'm not sure we yet have i mean not all events of the day were wild i'm referring in particular when i say wild to one match that of rafael nadal beating taylor fritz in five complicated sets i mean you could do a whole podcast on that match Mm. in the aftermath it's why i'm leading with it I, i really wanted to lead with the women's matches today and we'll we'll give them plenty of time but you can't not lead with Rafael Nadal and and everything related to that match, how it played out, the upshot of it, the aftermath of it. What's going to happen now? It was <laughs> it was a lot. He's trying for the calendar slam, folks, and he's two legs in, and he's in the quarterfinals with a very real chance of of winning the third leg, and then. He's injured himself. It sounds like not today, but worsened today. And he looked done. He, I was commentating on that match. His dad was telling him to retire from the box. Rafa ignored him. Rafa spent the whole next two and a half sets basically playing on his own with no encouragement from his box. Not that they didn't want him to do well, but they were worried for him and they thought he's crazy what you do, what you're doing is the gist of what i was getting from it he was avoiding eye contact wasn't he yeah. with, with the box because he knew he was do, you know doing something they didn't approve of there was something very i was know, like superhero going it alone 
Who was were, like, do they know Rafael Nadal? It was like, like of course he's going to play. We on. were imposing, in a way, on a domestic really yeah. between between the family and all. I mean, his whole support team are like family to him, and it's only because they want what's best for him. But I mean, I know what you mean. But I mean, he has retired from a couple of Grand Slams before when he's been in real trouble. I guess this was sufficiently borderline, and and you know he makes his own mind up. But what an incredible process to go through in your mind to feel whatever he was feeling and still carry on and still persevere. Is it a process though, or is it all? I'm I'm not sure there is that process. I think it's he doesn't know any other way. I'm not sure how complicated a process it for us. It would be complicated, but for him, it's extremely simple and clear. Is it possible for me to carry on? Okay, then I will. Mm. That's the equation. Yeah, such a big match, as you said. He's aware of the calendar slam thing. He knows this is his shot. Anything to just get through this match. And he says it all the time. Things can change so quickly in tennis. We know he's going to have a, a scan on this injury. And look, it doesn't sound good. It really doesn't. But... He's all about surviving in the moment that he's in and figuring out whatever comes later, later. Just get through this if he can. And he found a way, didn't he? He slowed down his serve dramatically. He had to alter that shot. But the rest of his game at times was incredible still. I mean, some of the points he was coming up with from the baseline, Taylor Fritz was saying I was throwing everything at him and he was turning it back on me. I'm sure we'll come on to Taylor Fritz's performance. But I felt Nadal's level, tennis-wise, is still really, really high. That was as bullish as he's been for a long time about his own form. Mm. That that he thinks the tennis is right there, and that's why he clearly is so gutted. 3-6-7-5-3-6-7-5-7-6-10-4 in the the match tiebreak which decided uh, decided the contest at what stage david you were commentating on sets 2 and 4 but obviously i think watching from from the five live commentary booth for lots of it and from the five live green room for the rest of it at what stage did the what we think is an ab injury become most apparent to you as you say we were aware in the previous match that he was clutching at his stomach area a bit yeah but at what stage did it, the severity of the situation become clear? Well, there were a couple of weird things happening with the score. He went up to love in the first set, and you and I almost instantaneously said, he is honest today. And it wasn't just the scoreline. It was the way he was going about it. He was just... It he, was that caged animal thing, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah, he was like all over been, the his court. His chains had been smothering the court and burying shots and there was one shot where he swooped into the air and did almost like a slam dunk smash there there was such confidence about him then he went on a bit of a losing streak and he lost his break of serve um but in the second set he did the same thing because i mean he ended up you know he ended up losing he lost that first set didn't he Mm. Uh, but then in the the start of the second set he went up three love again you know and and you're thinking okay he, he he's doing exactly the same thing, and the same thing started to happen with Fritz coming back into the set. I was commentating alongside Laura Robson on BBC Radio, and he went for a serve, and he sort of collapsed on the serve and almost went on one knee. And I didn't really catch it because I was watching where the serve had gone, and Laura said, oh, he's hurt on air. He's in trouble. And you realise then he's crocked. 
that that suddenly he's not moving properly. He's arming the ball over. The the serve was ninety nine miles an hour, not one hundred and nineteen miles an hour. And um, and this went on for several games. You can see him conversing or at least communicating with his box, shaking his head. It's a problem. And this, and his dad's like waving his arm pretty violently and vehemently and saying, just stop, get out of there. And he's just ignoring it. And he's thinking, well, I almost won Indian Wells with a broken rib. So, yeah, and, and I won French Open with a zombie foot. And Australian Open when I'd nearly yeah. retired a month earlier. That's it. I mean, in the context of Nadal's year, this match fits perfectly, doesn't it? It's what mm. he's been doing... Oh yeah, surviving and winning. But a nab, a nab injury is usually mm. curtains, isn't it? I mean, I, oh, I feel I, like I've learnt a lot about nab injuries in the past three weeks. That it's the injury du jour, isn't it? And in it's, tennis, it's the injury of the last eighteen months. Because if mm. you remember, post quarantine, post lockdown, yeah. everybody was having them in Australia, and Djokovic got whatever degree it was. You know, with these, in, you, you never quite know the degree of the tear, do you? Um, and uh, and he had his, and he managed his. So maybe Rafael Nadal will be able to somehow manage his. But from what we heard at the end of the match, he, he was struggling to walk up the stairs and he had to cancel his TV interviews. And he sounded pretty downbeat. And he, he's going for a scan, he said, didn't he? And that's that's never a good sign mid-tournament, is it? No, although, I mean, I think, you know, they, they want to know the severity. They want to know what it looks like, not just what it feels like, I suppose. And I, and I guess such a significant question with Nadal is, am I going to worsen it long-term by continuing to play? Because pain isn't an issue for Nadal. He... He can play through extraordinary pain. Mm. I think he did today. I mean, just seeing the doll oh, yeah. grimace is, you know, we know that he's been playing with pain for the better part of his career, hasn't he? So for him to be actively grimacing on the court, it's got to be probably the sort of pain that would make you or I take to bed. <laughs> well, certainly me, take to bed and uh, ne- never to be seen. Days are right off. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. U- U.S. Open, I suppose, is the, is the consideration for the long term, really, because it's what seven weeks away, mm. um, which isn't that long. So I suppose you've got to weigh up. Well, how bad can it get between now and then? Mm. Is part of it. He must just think, for God's sake, mm. I've I've got the foot under control. <laughs> yeah. Now this, and you can't zombify a, a midriff. I don't think. No. I mean. Medical professionals do get in touch, but I don't think that that's an available solution. <laughs> he had it at the 2009 US Open. I remember he had um, he had very similar tape to what he's got on his ab now. And then by the time he played Juan Martín del Potro in that semi-final, he had proper strapping around it, and he couldn't he couldn't really play in that semi-final. I mean, del Potro just destroyed him, and Nadal was a a shadow of himself he tried to play through it so you know he does have some experience of this injury but that I mean that was a long time ago and ultimately it wasn't successful trying to play through it so why didn't Taylor Fritz who is a good tennis player now and a very good grass court tennis player why didn't he beat a Rafael Nadal serving at 99 miles per hour and clearly hampered mm, it's, a, it's a very good question I, w- I thought he would I must say I do think he's 
I do think he was scrambled. His brain was a bit scrambled by everything that went on out there. Um, I think Nadal played tactically so so well, so such clever tennis. You know, his use of the drop shot was mm. brilliant. His use of angles and um, just just yeah, you know, we were talking yesterday about Novak Djokovic managing a match, and Nadal did that today. He just he he his level increased and improved when he really needed it to, and he won the match on the all the important points, including beating Taylor Fritz in a final set tiebreak, which Fritz was quick to point out, I've probably got the best final set tiebreak of anybody at record. I think he does. You know, and but he certainly did um, in, in, in the Indian Wells time. Yeah. I remember that stat surfacing during that run. He said, I'm proud of that. I, mm. I live for those moments, he said, and yet he destroyed me in that 10-point tiebreak. And he, you, he was... He said that this was the, the worst defeat of his career, the hardest mm-hmm. defeat. He said, it's the first time I've ever cry, wanted to cry after losing a tennis match. And, I, and, he, and he's going to have regrets, I'm afraid. You know, you don't want to come off the court with regrets. He has regrets that he didn't do more. And you mentioned, David, Novak Djokovic winning the 2021 Australian Open with the ab injury. It was against Fritz, obviously, where the mm. ab injury kind of revealed itself. And I thought then that Fritz played a really immature final set in particular in that match because he 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 should have won that. Djokovic was there for the taking in that match in particular. I really felt like Fritz had grown a lot since then. I think he has. He's a better tennis player now. He's won more. Um, and just like you, David, I thought Fritz would have it in him today to finish off Nadal. And of course, we can't underestimate it's still Rafa Nadal down the other end it's still a big moment for Fritz playing him even if he is injured Nadal was still at times as we've said playing brilliantly but he was also extremely hampered and I did think Fritz had developed enough over the last 18 months that he would win that and I just don't think he I don't think he put pressure on Nadal in the important moments. You know, the second set was such a big moment when he'd, he'd got the break back. That was the time to pounce and take a two-set to love lead. And then that's a huge mountain for Nadal to climb. He just kept letting Nadal back in so that he was never fully out of it, I suppose. And you give Nadal a, an inch, he'll take a mile, you know, and he just needs a bit of belief. And Fritz... Fritz never quite was able to put him away. And yeah, I I really thought he would because I thought he'd come on as a tennis player so much. Will this defeat make Fritz better or will it be accumulated mental baggage? Yeah, that's a really impossible question to answer confidently because it could go either way. I have no doubt that he will go back to the drawing board, watch this back, face it down and try to deal with it and try to learn from it from it and become better. I, I believe in him in that way. I think he's a, he's somebody who's very ambitious, works hard, wants to be the best he can be, um, but he won't know until he's in that position again. That's the problem with, with mental baggage. Until you're put under that sort of stress again, does he get the flashbacks? And mm. I'm not sure sports psychology can solve that I can't I feel as though he's actually got to go do it and then it's solved <laughs> to at least to some degree um just, just one question I had for you two is I mean I I genuinely thought Nadal was just trying to finish the match whilst the sets two 
three, four were going on. I, I thought once he got that injury, he doesn't want to quit. He just wants to be there. He almost wants to give Fritz a proper win if he's going to get a win. And he wants the crowd to have a full match. And he doesn't want to be that guy that, that just pulls the, the cord when maybe he could finish the match. Um, now, obviously, he was a heck of a lot more ambitious than that because he wanted to win the match and he went and won it, which is incredible, incredible. But we, we may not have a semi-final now. Um, is that an issue for you at all? I mean, if it is, does he have any degree of responsibility within a match to think about whether he's actually ever going to be right to, to play another match after this one? I or, don't think so, no? personally. Um, because as I said, Nadal thinks of it in terms of things can change quickly. And look, he wasn't, he was clearly not physically right today and he still beat Taylor Fritz and Taylor Fritz is a hecking good tennis player. So if he's able to take to the court, he's got a chance, hasn't he? I would say so. Yeah, I agree with I would I agree with Matt completely. I don't think he carries that responsibility. However, I also think it's completely legitimate for Taylor Fritz to be fuming yeah. and it's a ir- irritated. For tennis. It's yeah, a it for is. Tennis it generally is. in and it, it's not on the, on the person in question, but it is an issue that that tennis has. Now, some would say that the defeated player should get to stand in, right? Yeah, maybe that's the case. I mean, I don't think so either. Fritz was very, very keen to not give any sense that he thought there was any untoward behaviour from Rafael Nadal out there whatsoever. He he was totally supportive of him. Um, But it's yeah, it is an interesting one. I mean, why? I mean, I suppose the case is very. There's 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 the argument in principle. And then there's the argument in relation to Rafael Nadal, because maybe you would have a point in in principle, but I almost think that Rafael Nadal has done so many possible things with his failing body that even if you accepted the the argument in principle, it might not even apply to Rafael Nadal. I mean, he could still have a scan, think, you know what, I'll give this a go. Yeah. And then who knows? Particularly because of who he plays in the semi-final, and that is Nick Kyrgios. Nick Kyrgios beat Christian Garin today, 6-4, Looked for a long time towards the end of the match like it was going to go four, and had it gone to four, could very easily have gone to five. You know, we know we know what Christian Garin is like when he gets a sniff of a comeback. Especially against he, Australia. He had him right where he wanted him. Two yeah. sets down in the tie break. And honestly, if you, you saw how disappointed Garin was to to lose that day. He, he thought it was on, I think. He was so frustrated himself, at himself to to go so far with the comeback and, you know, peg Kyrgios back and not take it further. But, you know, I, I texted the group. Uh, early stages in this match where you know Kyrgios came out immediately got his serve broken and it looked like a sort of panic tank type situation he was playing quicker than I've ever seen him play you know the sort of quick that just feels like a tank because you can't possibly play that quickly and and be concentrating 
Um, and he and he lost his serve and was pretty much every moment that the ball wasn't in play, he was chuntering. He was talking to himself, to the crowd. He was just talking away. I couldn't I couldn't make out what a lot of it was, quite frankly. But there were words, and I th- thought, you know, he clearly wanted. It was on those days where he wanted someone to rail against, someone or something to rail against. And I texted the group and I said, I think this is a straight sets defeat for Kyrgios. I just think, you know, the 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 Kyrgios that could win through to a Grand Slam semi-final has not shown up today. And I was completely wrong. He he was really, really good today. Um he, yeah, he was. His tennis was excellent. What, what today. was good? Because I didn't get to see any of that match because I was commentating. Well, the what? bits I saw, and I spent a lot of that match in in the Wimbledon Library. Um, <laughs> but the bits I saw were he played the big points very mm. well. Um, Garin, I think, had eight or nine break points in the match, and he only kept it and competitive only at every stage. Garin, yeah, he, he took one very early, as you said, and then from then on. Whenever he had a chance, Kyrgios served extremely well, saved the big the big points. Green was actually, from what I could see, doing pretty well in the rallies, putting Kyrgios under quite a lot of pressure, and Kyrgios soaked it up well. He just he just played. It was just a tennis match in the mm. end, and he just played really solidly and won won the big moments. It was nothing it was nothing fancy. I mean, Simon Briggs in the press conference pointed out there were no, there were no what he would call trick shots, you know, no tweeners or underarm serves through the legs, nothing like that. It was just focused, kind of efficient tennis, really. Yeah, it it was a tennis match and he was the superior tennis player. I mean, the serve is, it is such a weapon, such an enormous weapon. And a bit like with Cameron Norrie's enormous lungs, I think, Freakish, isn't it? I think the fact that he's got that serve in his locker helps the rest of his game. It takes so much pressure off the rest of his game. Yeah. Particularly in those big points. Um and the the shoulder that we'd seen him sort of massaging in the previous round, um, and sort of gesturing that he was feeling it a bit because the well explaining in in the post match press conference afterwards that he was feeling it a bit because of how much tennis he'd played. There didn't seem to be any signs that there was an issue with that. It was just a good Nick Kyrgios today. He didn't even violate any clothing rules, Mm. as far as I can tell. And I don't know if that's coincidence. I'd be surprised if it was coincidence that he decided not to to bring any circus today. Mm. Um. But he was very, very good at tennis. And I, I would say, actually, if you put it in just straightforward terms and line those two players up against each other on a grass court, it's kind of what it should have been. Um, if mm. you, if you, you know, there are there are other considerations with Nick Kyrgios, but if you line them up as tennis players, that's a straight sets win for him on paper. And um, you know, it was actually a bit more stressful than that from what I saw in in terms of the start, as you mentioned. It didn't – he went a breakdown, didn't he? And, um, and and in fact, he was barely winning points at all at the start. Um, but – and then there was the near comeback at the end. But even so, you know, you, you're often going to get that in a big match. Garin was trying his heart out. But ultimately, that's, that's the result it should have been. Mm. 
Matt took one for the team and went to the Nick Kyrgios press conference. We we appreciate you, Matt. <laughs> Tell us about it. Well, of course, he was asked about the court summons straight away. That was that was the first question from Simon Briggs. Um, if he had any response to it, how the situation has affected him. Um, he said he has a lot of thoughts and a lot of things he wants to say, but he's been advised by lawyers not to say anything at this time. And he was he was qu- he was pressed on it a couple more times, and that was all he said. He said, I'm, I, "I can't talk. Please don't keep asking me about it." Basically, but yeah, it's it's a cloud over Kyrgios at the moment, and inevitably he was going to be asked about it. I think inevitably that was going to be his response, but. It affects how we talk about him and how we talk about his tennis, I think, as well, this this hanging over him. What did he have to say about his tennis? What we've said, really. I mean, he just... He played well. Um, he said... He, he repeated the line that he said on court, in the on-court interview, which was that he thought that this moment had, had gone for him, this, this chance to reach a Grand Slam semi-final because obviously he'd been to a couple of quarterfinals but seven or eight years ago um, he says he felt like maybe there was a period of his career that he wasted and that that chance was gone and therefore this was a big moment I think that's why why I think we saw the reaction we did from him at the end of the match where he fell onto his back and I've, I've not really seen that from Nick and, and an extended period of time just sitting in his chair before the on-court interview apparently just sort of trying to make sense of the fact that this had happened mm. Yeah, he was extremely emotional, that's for sure. And now he'll face Rafael Nadal with a zombie torso for a place in the Wimbledon final. I mean, I thought his window, that was how he put it on the court, wasn't it? I thought my window had closed. I did too. Yeah, I, I, th- I would I would agree. Um, I mean, look, there are other some other factors here, and I'm not saying that they're asterisk factors in the fact that uh, the Russian players aren't there, and um, and Berrettini's had to come out of the draw, and Chilich, you know, and uh, there's there's some gaps in the draw, but you know there are often gaps in draws. Um, he. he he very nearly lost in the first round against Paul Jubb of Great Britain, who put in a fantastic performance on the day. But even so, that would have been a, a heck of an, an upset. But Kyrgios won that match and then got through to the semi-finals of Wimbledon. So that's that's impressive. And uh, and it's a, it's a clear step further than he's ever got before. Also bearing in mind that he, it's seven years since he'd been even to a quarterfinal. So he obviously has made some progress here in terms of how he's managing his career in, as a profession now. Um, because I don't, think, I don't think that's necessarily an accident. Uh, I, think, I think the process that he started talking about is there. Well, Todd Woodbridge said a couple of days ago that, you know, on on the BBC coverage this was, I think this was in, in the build-up to his fourth-round match, that, you know, yes, he's a part-time tennis player or whatever it is he, he wants to call himself, and yes, he's he's not as committed week in, week out as, as other players, but he was committed to this Wimbledon, mm. and he prepared pretty properly, really, I mean, in his own way, but he, he put a proper shift in in terms of preparation for this Wimbledon. I think he talked about him going to, to spend some time with Leighton Hewitt, didn't he? Mm, that's right. Um, and 
and I don't think they've always had the best relationship. So that's, you know, that's progress in itself. And even just the week before Wimbledon, he pulled out of Mallorca, having played a match and won it. I think he probably could have carried on in that tournament, but he was, you know, he had, he had an eye on Wimbledon. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. This edition of the Tennis Podcast is sponsored by Tennis Channel, and Tennis Channel Plus is the place to watch the French Open. They've got every court live, and you can watch on your phone or your smart TV, both in HD. Matt, this sounds like your kind of thing. Yeah, there's nothing I like more than watching multiple courts with matches everywhere, dipping in to where there's the latest final set tiebreak or even the latest bit of aggro. And David, don't worry, you can just watch your favourite court, Suzanne Longlen, all day if you want. But whatever you choose, the French Open promises unforgettable moments and new chapters in tennis history. Do you know, I think in a lot of ways, the French Open is now my favourite slam. It's the strategy of the clay court tennis, the way it challenges players, and particularly now with Legends of the Game up against a new generation of young players. I cannot wait. Be there when it happens with daily live coverage beginning on Monday, May the 20th. Subscribe to Tennis Channel Plus to stream daily coverage of Roland Garros. Use promo code TENNISPOD20 for 20% off your annual subscription. Kyrgios against Nadal in the Wimbledon semi-final. Uh, and of course, Novak Djokovic against Cameron Norrie. Those matches will be played on Friday. The women's semi-finals will be played tomorrow Thursday, so it's a tight turnaround for the players that won through today, and they were Simona Halep and Elena Rabakina. It'll be a fourth career meeting between those two in tomorrow's semi final. Oh, and what's that head to head? It's 2 1 in Halep's favour. I would discount the one win for Rabakina in Wuhan a few years ago because it was by retirement. So, okay, that looks one sided for Simona Halep. But both those wins were recent matches, one in Dubai 2020 and one US Open last year, and both were thrillers. The Dubai match went 7-6 in the third. Oh, right. It was amazing. It was, a, it was, the, it was voted the, the WTA match of the year mm. for 2020. The omens are good for that match-up. I like it. I like it too. I like it too. I mean, Simona Halep today. Awesome. Oh, she she's 
She might be the player of the tournament so far. I mean, what if she hasn't dropped a set? She's she's been winning one-sided sets against good players. I, I know that Amanda Nisimova has regrets about what happened today, but just the moment that she hit one big backhand on the line, and Halep, I saw scoot across to her right and hit a running Pete Sampras-style forehand down the line. It was incredible. She laughed at the backhand list today. It was a personal attack. Mm, I thought it was that. almost sort of, <laughs> why am I not on it? <laughs> that was the vibe from Simona Halep. Actually, Halep, over the course of her career, would, would definitely make a backhand list. He keeps sure. saying these things that... But you say it's not about results and effectiveness. It's about an aesthetic and an X factor. Yeah, it's like about what's just... Anna Bogdan done over the course of her career? To... <laughs> no, like... but no, but it's just Anna Bogdan's backhand completely takes you by surprise because the rest of her game is finish that sentence. Not Matt. is not you know list worthy. Put it that way. <laughs> And the backhand is incredible. So that's an element so that just bumps it up. So context is everything. So Halep, Halep's getting damned by being too good at everything. Well, exactly. everything else is and, all right. And I feel okay. like Halep's amazing feature for me has always been her movement. The way she moves across the tennis. If there was a movement list, Halep would be on it you're for on, sure. You're on his movement list. We've never played, Matt, but I think you might be surprised at my back. The rest of my game is so rubbish. I think I, think I might make your backhand list, yeah. Okay. If it's all about... The relative no, goodness it's, it's of got, your backhand. It's got to be good. I think as, I could it's got to be good. <laughs> um, but right. yeah, I mean, Halep, she was just ready for everything Anisimova had today. And she was always in position. She was always just able to get another ball back and make Anisimova have to hit an extra great shot. And I talk about the movement of Halep there such a big difference between those two players and honestly I've watched Anisimova closely at the last two slams she has ended up losing to much better athletes than she is Leila Fernandez at Roland Garros and Simona Halep here she can hit a tennis ball as well as anyone I think Anisimova great striking she can create angles she can hit up the line it's all there game wise but if you get her in a physical battle and have to make her run that's that's where she struggles a bit more I think and Fernandez exposed that and Halep really exposed that today and on top of that Halep herself was able to end points as you said with with great winners it, she was she was brilliant today and I think Anisimova also talked about nerves getting to her and she didn't feel like she could feel her arm properly on the court. She froze a little bit and she was quite emotional and upset with her performance. But that's to take nothing away from Halep, who was absolutely immense. And as as soon as she stepped back on centre court this tournament, I think she was playing well anyway, but these, in particular these last two matches back on centre court, she's just raised her game even even more. And I asked her in the press conference afterwards, you know... I phrased it in terms of, you know, this is this is a place of tradition. This is a place built on tradition. And one of those is that the defending, defending champion gets to open play. I mean, the, the women's defending champion never actually does. They get to open play on the second day. But anyway, um, and for, for different reasons each year, you've, you've been denied that honour. And the only way for you to ensure that you get it is to win the tournament. Has that been in your mind? And she said, 
basically yes. Wow. It has been. Yeah, with without without throwing Wimbledon under under the bus even in the slightest. She said, "Yeah, it occurred to me at the start that the only way I would get to open center court is to win the title. And I'm going to try and win the title." <laughs> and I love that. And Matt thinks that's going to happen. I think I do. Yeah, if if I had to predict now who I think will win Wimbledon with only four players left, Hallett to me is the obviously she's the only one who's done it which makes her more likely in my mind that she might do it again and just tennis wise I think she's playing the best tennis um, but if she had to play Rabatkina as she does followed by Jabur she's going to have to keep up this level of tennis I think Jabur's got more left in her this tournament Halep needs to stay at this very high level for two more matches probably it's interesting, isn't it? R- Rabakina will be a similar matchup for her to Anisimova. Stronger serve, maybe slightly weaker off the off the ground strokes than than Anisimova. Slightly fewer options, but basically, big hitter off the ground, great serve. Rabakina mm. movement is the I'd, weakness. I'd say a better mover than Anisimova. Mm. From, yeah, from I what think I saw so. yeah, today, not slightly adjusted strengths and weaknesses. But compared to Jabir, who yeah. she might no, end up playing in the final, she can. Game plan wise, I'd imagine she'd bring a pretty similar. Yeah, and and it, mm. and Hallett, Hallett will be trying to move her, mm. um, and because that you know she's six foot tall, she's a tall, very tall woman, and uh, I was the court one commentary box we have is even lower to the ground than the centre court one. We are we're properly in the corner of the court and head height to the players. If they walk to get their towel. They're almost eyeballing us through the window. So that's the, the vantage point that I watched Rebecca against Tom Janovic from today. Um, I was immensely impressed with Rebecca. Who, she lost the first set. I mean, this was a really good contest for a start. Tom Janovic, I think, is, a, is perhaps a more natural grass court player. There's more of a difference between her normal game and her grass court game than there is for Rebecca, who can go on a hard court and still kind of knock people off the court if she's playing well with that served and and she's also got piercing ground strokes they don't they're not very heavily spun they're just arrow like from both sides and uh, and as the match went on I mean she'd lost the first set but she just didn't kind of get any sort of rattled she wasn't she wasn't wobbling at all she just braced herself and went for it and ended up knocking Tom Nenovich off the court pretty much. There was a little wobble at the end, just when she's trying to serve it out. But then the funny thing is she lost the serve. She got an insurance break. She lost the serve. Tom Nenovich held. And you're thinking, uh-oh, 5-2's become 5-4. Love service game mm. from Rebecca. Just boom, boom, boom. It was, it was like Kyrgios. And, uh, and I thought, she, she's ready. She's ready for this to... to to arrive at this tournament and I think probably the truth is reaching the semi-finals for the first time in her career at any Grand Slam is arriving I think it'll end against Halep but she's a threat if if she plays her best stuff and if Halep's anywhere short she could win but I would still pick Halep she's got one of the best serves on tour hasn't she I think I mean I know the ace stats would say it is the the best of the tournament but I always don't I always think the ace stats uh, or, or lots of lots of stats of which a stats are an example. It should be 
probability of hitting an ace on any given first serve or any given serve, right? Not, I mean, it should be relative to the number of service points you're playing. Yeah. I, I wish they gave that stat. I mean, of course, somebody that's in the semifinals has hit more aces than somebody in the first round. Mm-hmm. Mm. Anyway, but she's hit more aces than anybody else this tournament. And she does have a her strike. I was thinking back to when I spoke to her the other day, and she said she had these gifts of natural aggression and power. You can see how how talented she is at hitting a ball. Mm. It's not mm. she's not muscling that ball over at all. There's just a, a pure strike from both sides and serve and everything. It's all produced beautifully Mm. yeah i was really impressed with her today i think she won seven games in a row in the middle of the match where it really looked like tomjanovic who who showed up today yeah she was still digging into all these rallies and then she just couldn't break the defenses Mm. and then she'd suddenly find herself on the back foot out of nowhere yeah and losing the point it was just a seven game stretch from the start well the sort of middle of the second set to the middle of the third set where Rebecca kind of just took the match away from Tomjanovic with her power and she kept her ratio of unforced errors to winners really good. Um, I've worried a bit about whether Rebecca lacks fangs Mm. and and I really thought that probably for the first time at the Olympics last year where she was easily the best player player i think in that tournament and yet ended up not even having a medal because she blew her semi-final match and she blew her bronze medal match um from winning positions she was playing so well she just couldn't finish these matches off and that's made me question sort of her fang level the length of her fangs whether she has them it is the self-confidence come into that because i still wonder whether there might be a little bit of kind of do I belong here yet mm. about her? I suspect you're probably right. I just don't feel I can confidently answer because she's very difficult to read. She's obviously not somebody that wears her personality or her emotions on her sleeve. She, her English is, you know, far better than my Russian um, and, you know, far better than I am in almost, you know, it's it's completely serviceable and impressive. But in terms of really conveying and communicating emotion um it's it's not quite there so i i find it quite difficult to know what she's all about and what's going on beneath the surface and i really want to know because it will help me get invested in her i think because the game is look it's it's impressive it's very very impressive but it's not one of those get you know it's it's not on Shabur, is it with the you know, we're all drawn to, well, most of us are drawn to variety and, you know, who doesn't love a drop shot return? <laughs> a drop shot return sells itself. With lob combo. Exactly. But, you know, an ace or, a, you know, just a, you know, your meat and potatoes, big forehand winner. It's a slightly harder sell. And I, I, I want to get to know more, but it's just. I ho- hopefully it will come in time, but I I don't feel like I can confidently answer those questions yet with Elena Rabakina. I feel like we'll find out a lot about mm. her though. Yeah, in that semi final. Right. Mm. Yeah, I mean she's beaten Serena Williams at a Slam, so that's the oh really? Which one was that? that was at Roland Garros uh, last year? Um, so that sort of offsets what I said there about the Olympics. She has had some some big wins, some big moments, and yeah, we learn a lot more. I think against against Hallett because she does have a game that 
can beat anyone, I think, pretty mm. much, if, if she executes it well. Sort of Kvitova-esque. She's like a right-handed Petra Kvitova. Mm. Mm. Not a bad thing to be. No, There's certainly Especially not a Wimbledon, yeah. yeah. That'll be the second semi-final on Centre Court tomorrow after a one thirty start. The first is Jabur against Tatiana Maria. Old school, that's going to be, isn't it? Yeah, dinktastic. <laughs> <laughs> I just want some drop shot returns. I think you'll get them. That's all I ask for. But please time them well. Don't, we don't want we don't want ones that do the drop shot return. You know, we don't want ones that set the movement back. <laughs> that land ten feet before the net. The sort of underarm serves yeah, that make Tim Henman, you know, roll his eyes in despair and mm. say it's just a terrible tactic on a grass court. Anyway, I digress. Um also on Centre Court tomorrow is the Mixed Doubles Final, which is now played on Thursdays. Matt Ebden and Sam Stozer um, in what we think will be her final year on, on tour. She did sort of, she said she plans to carry on as a doubles player, but unsure, unsure how long that'll be for. It could be her final year on tour. So an amazing story. She'll take on, they'll take on Neil Skubsky and Desiree Kravchik, who I think are the defending champions. Right, and um, Stozer and Ebden beat Goff, Goff and, Sock. and Sock. Again, before I had a chance to come up with a nickname for them. That's a good win. There was one that was uh, a bit, well, Goff didn't like it. It was it was a little bit vulgar. Oh. Jack Off. <laughs> she said, please, can we not use that name? I think she's thought that through. <laughs> Uh, I can see her point. I bet Jack Sock loved it. <laughs> Probably. Mm. Um, well, while we're on the doubles for a moment, there was drama on court two today involving Joe Salisbury and Rajiv Ram, who demanded that <laughs> Hawkeye be disabled. <laughs> and when I say demanded, I really mean demanded. Turn that thing off. Turn that thing off. We're refusing to play until Hawkeye is deactivated. Well, what, what wound them up so much? Well, it was deep in the second set and a shot uh, by the French pair. They were playing Maou and Roger Vasselin. Doesn't sound right, that, does it? No, I had to, I had to really struggle to get <laughs> that out. Um, landed what appeared to be out. I mean, seriously, I, I, saw, the, I saw a slow-motion replay. It did appear long and quite quite significantly long uh the french pair challenged it anyway and it was shown to be in by by hawkeye and yeah they were absolutely livid they they said there's absolutely no way that ball is in hawkeye is clearly faulty we need to we need to stop playing because you know it's it could lead to other bad calls um and yeah it was, it was a lengthy delay really lengthy mm but in the end, but in the end, they, they got back up and played. On. And, they carried on and, and they um, won in five they sets. Won. <laughs> Although it did, it cost them a couple of sets, didn't it? It cost them that set, and they went to a fifth. Yeah, well, they that set went to a tiebreak, and they lost the tiebreak seven love. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think of the the point though? If if it's making proper mistakes, I mean, they used to do this with Cyclops. If if you'd have players asking to turn it off. Well, the, well, the thing is that Hawkeye were insisting that it wasn't making mistakes. I mean, obviously, mm. I think if Hawkeye had accepted that it's not functioning correctly, I think everybody would have been agreement, in agreement that 
it has to be switched off but i'm not i'm not sure what you do if you you know if you if you put your trust in a machine and the machine says it's working it's like you know if you start doubting the way ways or google maps is taking you Oh, you can't I, intervene. You've got to. You've got to accept that you've put your trust in it. And t- today, I put Wimbledon Village in because I was meeting a friend of mine for breakfast this morning. Vague. Yeah, I, it sent me completely the wrong direction. I don't know which Wimbledon Village I ended up in, but it wasn't the one I was supposed <laughs> to. Re- yeah. We'll talk about that after. Don't yeah, we? we'll <laughs> we'll debrief on that. There's a lot to unpack but, there. Um, I think it is an important uh, point about the fact that you know there were lying judges there at least you know if, if this happens at a tournament where there's only electronic calls mm. and the system fails mm. well you're screwed aren't you i mean I, I, I don't know what you would do then at least they did have the backup option of just going with the lying judges call if they decided that hawkeye wasn't working so i think it's mm. it's, it's a pretty big moment for lying judges i think they should be jumping on something like this and saying this is why you still need us because sometimes the technology might not work no rest for a Ram joe salisbury they're back out on court number one tomorrow in the men's doubles semi-finals taking on matt ebden busy day for him he's in the mixed doubles final and the men's doubles semi-finals matt ebden and matt purcell Max Purcell, isn't it? Mm. Matt Ebden, yeah. Max Purcell, the Australian duo. And then the other uh, men's doubles semi-final to follow, uh, Cabal and Farah against Mektic and Pavic. Those are two, you know, solid, established, you know where you are <laughs> with them, doubles teams. Proper doubles. Proper doubles. Um, no women's doubles on tomorrow by the looks of things. Lots of girls and boys matches will, of course, let you know uh, who ends up winning those tournaments so that you can, you know, mark your card for for future. Um, The wheelchair events kick off tomorrow, so we'll keep you updated on those as well. I think I probably covered the... uh, invitational legends doubles more than anybody wanted me to yesterday so I'll, I'll leave that for today yeah and i'll give you a further update tomorrow uh matt you mentioned that you were in the library today shout out to robert the wimbledon librarian um and to the wimbledon library in general by the way if you're going to wimbledon make sure you visit the wonderful library can you give us a teaser for the stat that you were in the library for please without giving the full game away well, I normally like to just do a teaser and save it for the newsletter. This one has taken me two days, so I am going to reveal some of the stat on the podcast because I think it, you know, I want my hard work to be heard <laughs> by people, basically, is what I'm saying. It occurred to me when I was watching Novak Djokovic versus Yannick Sinner the other day that Djokovic hasn't lost on centre court since Andy Murray beat him in the 2013 final you know it's nine years ago because his two losses since then were on court one so I thought well he must have won so many matches in a row on this court and 37 in a row after the Yannick Sinner win so this is an active streak obviously and I just wondered how that compared to other centre court winning streaks and what I can confirm is that that is the longest winning streak in centre court history that Novak Djokovic is currently on. I feel like no one is talking about this 
Probably because it's damn hard to they find out. Now. Um, but the newsletter will tell you the other long streaks in Wimbledon centre court history. But yeah, Novak Djokovic officially on the longest one. That's pretty, pretty incredible. And and that is because of the. I'm going full um, advert for the Wimbledon Library now, but. That is a stat that you wouldn't be able to confirm using the internet, right? That's only possible via the Wimbledon Library. Yeah. Because it's the order it's the access it, to the order it, of players. It's the access to the historical I love or, that. I orders love of play that order it's of something players. You, you couldn't find on the internet. Mm. And without some serious hard work. hard work. So well done, Matt. I love it. Absolutely love it. Yeah. And the Wimbledon Library will be very pleased. I think their new slogan is the Wimbledon Library better than the internet. (laughs) (laughs) Make sure you visit, folks. Make sure you subscribe to the newsletter. If that doesn't do it for you, I'm going to stop plugging the newsletter after today. Because if that doesn't do it for you... They should all be on it now. Yeah. After that. That's... That's... You get, well, you've reached the zenith. You get more more stuff, more detail for for this stat That's in right. there, don't you? That's for right. that particular stat. Mm. It, it's Matt's stat and photos of people's animals that I shoehorn in. <laughs> and other great stuff as well. Yeah, and our predictions, which are always right. Mm, there's no need to promote those. Okay. <laughs> we have our Wimbledon mascot, Willow. Hello, lovely Willow. You've done us proud. Right, Willow. Hello, Willow. Uh, David's got Darwin. All right, Darwin. We had it. We got. We got three sets right. Just wrong player. Mm. I've got Carter. I got the right winner, but not the right number of sets, which is a very frustrating place to be. I apologise, Carter. Matt, dearly departed, Gerald. Yep, yeah, right winner, wrong number of sets. Mm. Oh, good. Swing and a miss for all of us. (laughs) Billie Jean is sponsored by Billie Jean King and Alana Kloss, who we would like to thank for their company and their curry this evening. It was, I mean, it goes without saying that it was a lovely time. It was amazing. (laughs) Unbelievable. Yeah, we're just going to go and lock ourselves in a dark room and think about that, the fact that that really (laughs) happened for a little while now. Uh, Kyle Weingartner and Chris Albert-Lee are our executive producers and general top blokes. Thank you to both of you. Matt, we've got shout-outs. We do. We have Corey Williams in Santa Clara, California. All right, Corey. Corey Coco Goff. That's yes. her real name, isn't it? Yeah, this is with a Y. Yes. But yes. Is that sure. like how the dad spells his name? Because his name is Corey. Mm. Mm. I think sure it is, actually, yeah. I think you're it's right. a very American name. I was going to say, it? there's no British person in the world called Corey. No, there? I think when I was about sort of 14, I imagined that my perfect boyfriend would almost definitely be called Corey. Yeah, and there was those two and actors. I know how to skateboard. Corey Feldman, who was uh, the, uh, the one Lost Boys. Yes. Did you see that? I did. I read an amazing interview with him with Hadley Freeman in The Guardian a few months ago. Oh, can you send it to me? Sure. Thank you. He's lived an interesting life. Indeed. Anyway. So that's that's... Google Maps and an interview that we need to send you after the... After the pod. Thanks very much. Thank you, Corey. Santa Clara, California sounds lovely. We also have Deborah Bloom in Indiana. Right, Deborah. Like CC Bloom... You're going to tell me you've never seen this film, aren't you? You've never seen Beaches? Oh. I've never seen, seen it. it. Yeah, but... Uh, Bette Midler? In the 90s. 
Mm. I saw it. Wind beneath my wings. I don't know who CC Bloom is. CC Bloom is Bette Midler's character. Oh, okay, right, fine. In beaches, I can't even is think it, about it without it's crying. Really tennis players called Deborah. Deborah. There should be. Debbie. Come on, Debras. <laughs> Get playing tennis. <laughs> exactly, Billy <Billie> Jean. <laughs> Good point. I don't. I can't think of any. You know, we're going to have an inbox full of. <laughs> Debras that we've emails about. with the title God, of it. David's got one. Got one! Deborah Jevons, who was <laughs> a Wimbledon quarter finalist for Great Britain and is now or has been high up at the IOC, uh, etc. What yeah. extraordinary Deborah Jevons knowledge. <laughs> she also used to be part of the BBC Five Live team when I first started, so there we are. Oh, yeah. so you probably should have got that a bit sooner then. <laughs> All right, sorry. Deborah Jevons, <laughs> who I do know. <laughs> Sorry, Deborah Jevons, and thank you to this Deborah. Deborah yeah. Bloom, thank you very much. Finally, we have Kirsten Dilla Tower. Kirsten Flipkins. Hey! Hi, Kirsten. She is in St John's Wood in London. Oh, nearby. Mm. Marvellous. St John's Wood is very near Lords, isn't it? Mm. Mm. Lovely. Lovely part of the world. Thank you, Kirsten. Yeah. Good work, Matt. As always, very good podcast for Matt, this one. <laughs> Subscribe to the newsletter, folks. I won't tell you again. If you want to become a friend of the podcast, <laughs> She's not threatening. the link to do that is in our show notes as well. Tell your friends, leave us a Apple podcast review, do all the things, and most importantly, join us again tomorrow for our Wimbledon women's semi-final podcast. We'll speak to you then. 